Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. American expats have loved going to Mexico for decades. It's not hard to see why. Beautiful landscape, warm weather, a lower cost of living, close-ish to home. But here's a twist that we'll be talking about this morning. Let's say that your family is from Mexico and you grew up Mexican-American, Chicano, Latinx here in the U.S. And then you decide to head south to live as an expat. We'll talk with folks who've done just that about the complexities of moving to your ancestral country. Can you go home again? Does it make Mexican-Americans feel more unshakably American when we head for Mexico City or the Yucatan? Or do we connect with our roots? That conversation's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. When your family is from Mexico, but you grew up in the U.S., it's easy to build different mythologies around the old country. Depending on where in Mexico your fam is from, those stories could be about the rancho or the urban life your family lived, your Spanish roots, or your indigenous ones. We're not alone in this, of course. The children of immigrants from all kinds of places build a mythic home country from trips and stories, recipes, movies, old pictures your tia finally scanned. What if we'd never left? That's a whole other life we could have had. But maybe, just maybe you can experience some parts of it anyway. This morning, we're joined by Mexican-Americans who've gone back to Mexico, at least for some time. Sure, you could call them expats with the clout that label conjures, but their situation is a little more complicated than any old Michigan snowbirds moving down to Baja. Here to talk with us, we're joined by some friends of the show, Danielle Hernandez is food editor at the LA Times, former resident of Mexico City, and author of the nonfiction book, Down and Delirious in Mexico City. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Alexis. Hi. Yeah, good to have you back. We're also joined by Ana Sheila Victorino, co-host and co-CEO of Tamarindo, a Latinx-centered podcast. Uh, she's also an entrepreneur and a business and wellness coach. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Excited to have you. And we've also got Kevin and Jenny Frausto. They're expats from Chicago, currently living in Mexico. They're co-founders of the Eat Baila Travel YouTube channel. Welcome, Fraustos. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for the invitation. Super excited to be here today. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, so I want to kind of give people a sense of where you're coming from and what was kind of behind your decisions uh, to move back. Anashila, why don't we start with you Kind of what were you up to and what sort of pushed you over the line to go like, okay, I'm moving. Yeah. So just to give you a little bit of context, I'm, I'm actually was born in Mexico City, but I moved with my family when I was five to Little mm-hmm. Village, uh, a, a community in Chicago that's largely Mexican and Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. So while I lived most of my life in, in the U.S., um, I've grown up very close to, to my Mexican culture and, and visited quite often as well. And so I had always wanted to go back because I felt a little bit like, you know, something was was missing. And I think what really finally pushed me over the edge was that um, I started doing working on my own. And so I wasn't tied to to a job. But more than that, my my dad passed two years ago and he 
of my parents, he's, he was from Mexico City and he grew up there and he, he's the one that really, I mean, both of them, but my dad really instilled just like c culture and so much education around where I was from. And so for me, him passing was like, okay, like it's time for me to go back because it wasn't only a way for me to connect with my culture, but to connect with him. And so once he passed and then we, and then COVID came and I really felt like I had nothing at that point that was all the, all the, all the things that were sort of getting in the way were just sort of gone. And, and, and for me. Oh, I think we lost, uh, Sheila just for a second there. That is, uh, it's kind of my dream too. My family, uh, left Mexico city when I was three years old and I have always wanted to go back and Walk the streets. My dad walked for sure. Uh, how about you, uh, Danielle? Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your your story and going to Mexico City as well? Yeah, um, Ana Sheila's story right there. So moving to here because, you know, so many uh, Mexican-Americans who make that trip or decide to make that leap um, have such a strong uh, emotional or kind of psychic, if you will, kind of yearnings that mm -hmm. um, really do come from many different places. And a lot of people, a lot of people in our surrounding communities here in the States are kind of like from escaping Mexico, quote unquote, or had been sort of products of the movement North. Um, for me, it was kind of a question of really trying to find myself, I guess, and sort of try to figure out where I fit in the whole diaspora of Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, I was raised on the border and going back and forth between Mexico on a pretty consistent basis, like, you know, multiple times per week and kind of half our social life was really in Mexico, if not more than that, right in Tijuana on the other side from the South Bay of San Diego. So um, I really, when I went to college is when I started confronting people who were really you know, deeply from Mexico or had spent a lot of time vacationing there and traveling there. And I did not know any inch of Mexico, excuse me, any inch of Mexico beyond the corner, the mm. top, you know, Northwest corner of this vast country. A very really, distinct place, right? Within the geography of Mexico, yeah. Exactly. I mean, Tijuana is not like any other place inside the country. Um, and so it just, um, it was really a matter of kind of curiosity and trying to understand sort of where I fit in all of that. And of course, my move and the beginning of my kind of life traveling throughout Mexico has always, um, always complicates like the original question. <laughs> so there hasn't been much of a solution there, but it's been an incredible um, a journey and experience for sure. That's great. Uh, Kevin and Jenny Frausto, um, let's hear, let's hear your story. I mean, I know you also had dreamed and prepared, but you also weren't totally sure that you were going to go to Mexico. You'd considered other places. How'd you decide to go back to the, you know, the old country? So we are, um, a married couple, both born and raised in Chicago. And, um, when we got married, we thought about how we wanted to live abroad somewhere and, we had thought Spain, Colombia, Brazil, um, but when the pandemic hit and the borders started to close down, a very um, obvious but important choice came to light. We realized that, well, not only was Mexico going to be the only other option because of the fact that we had two passports, which is a huge advantage for us, um, but also it just made so much sense the more that 
we traveled, the more that we learned about ourselves, we realized that there's a lot that we still want to learn about our heritage and and a lot that we didn't get to learn growing up in Chicago. We grew up, um, both of us in Mexican immigrant families who also arrived to Little Village, Chicago, funny enough, like Ana Sheila. Um, But you know, it's a very limited understanding of the world that we come from. And so I think it was Daniel who mentioned that we had that yearning for sure to connect with our roots. And so we decided to jump the gun and and now we are exploring the entire country and exploring stories, history and culture that we didn't get a chance to dive really deeply into before. That's beautiful. Ana Sheila, we've got you back. Um, wanted to give you a chance to uh, finish your kind of introductory story. You were saying, you know, that your father had passed away and kind of the, the all the constraints on your life had sort of melted away so that you had this opportunity to to make the leap. And I kind of wanted you to, to talk a little bit about what feels kind of new about this trend, you know, whether it's kind of being able to work from wherever or, you know, the, the pandemic, both complications and opportunities. Sorry, say that again. What feels new? Uh, yeah, what 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 feels new or different about the the ability to kind of do what you're yeah. doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that like in in the past, like it, it just seemed like there were so many barriers, and I think that with the pandemic, it both like literally those barriers sort of lifted, but we sort of just started really to think about like what is it that we actually want to do, and are these barriers real or imagined? And I think that in the past, like we just some of them were actually sort of imaginary barriers. Mm. And so I, I think it's like, like, I think for a lot of us, may, at least for me, COVID sort of allowed me to, to see the world um, a little bit differently and start to just think about, actually, no, like I can't, if this is what I want to do. And obviously I, I recognize my privilege in being able to do this, right? Um, is that, that a lot of those barriers are sort of imagined for, for some of us. Right, right, right. Citizenship status, levels of education, right. ability to 100%. work. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, Kevin and Jenny, you're working down there, at least. Uh, Kevin, I, I understand you got a job uh, <clears throat> where, you know, kind of doing digital work. How has that felt to be kind of tied to, you know, th- this broader digital work world while you're also kind of doing this exploration of Mexico? Uh, it's it's been a great privilege to be able to to still be able to have a job back home in, in the United States and to get this opportunity to travel at the same time use uh, YouTube as an opportunity to show and explore different uh, sources of revenue uh, throughout the process it's mostly been smooth a lot of people think that internet isn't great in Mexico for some reason but uh, we've been able to connect and uh, it's it so far has been a pretty smooth sailing in terms of uh, working remotely and being able to to learn a lot from this YouTube opportunity. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, you know, when people use the term expat, I feel like generally speaking, they're imagining kind of uh, an Anglo-American who has gone to some other place to uh, to find themselves. And it's not that we're not doing that in this show or, or in, in, you know, trying to un- understand ourselves better. But is that actually the right term for identifying people whose roots are in Mexico who, who go back? That's a good question. I think, um, uh, you know, there's been expats in Mexico for literally, you know, 300, 400 years. The tradition of Europeans or Anglo-Americans from the north um, to go and sort of explore and sort of lap up all the cultural 
wonders and riches and indulgences of life in Mexico is very well documented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hundreds of years of books about this journey. <laughs> um, obviously, a very interesting subset of stories uh, related to that, but distinct from that of freed slaves finding more freedoms in Mexico or mm-hmm. quote enslaved people who escape uh, from that moment. And also um, black artists, writers, thinkers from the Harlem Renaissance and so on, and even mm-hmm. up to later. So, but yes, I think you're right. Anglo uh, expat is a term that is almost a you know cliche. It's a stereotype. It's um, you know for Mexican contemporary Mexicans today, I would say it conjures up images of um, you know colonizers, sort of like quote slash tourists and um, people who create little colonies and communities that are extremely ensconced from the rest of Mexican society. So in general, I would say expat is problematic, and I don't think it's um, an accurate term for people like those of us in this group now having this conversation who do have in one way or another a cultural or kind of heritage type. But the question is, what are we? Because we've all used the word privilege in this conversation so far, and we are exactly that enormously privileged compared to the, as far as I know, hundreds of thousands of children of Mexican, if not millions of Mexican immigrants whose parents left, you know, for one reason or another. Yeah, or people who've been deported back, which is obviously very, very different from the kind of situation we're talking here. We are talking about Mexican-Americans who are choosing to move to Mexico and what their experience is like there with Daniel Hernandez, the food editor at the LA Times, former resident of Mexico City, author of the great book Down and Delirious in Mexico City, Ana Sheila Victorino, co-host and co-CEO of Tamarindo, a Latinx-centered podcast, Kevin and Jenny Frausto, expats from Chicago living in Mexico, if we can use that word, and co-founders of the Eat Violet Travel YouTube channel. Stay tuned for more. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Mexican-Americans who've chosen to move to Mexico and the experiences they have there with Daniel Hernandez, the food editor at the LA Times, who has gone, gone back and forth to Mexico a couple times, Ana Sheila Victorino, co-host and co-CEO of Tamarindo. She's uh, currently living in Mexico City. And uh, Kevin and Jenny Frausto, who are from Chicago uh, and are traveling around Mexico, trying to decide where they want to settle down. They're the co-founders of the Eat Baila Travel uh, YouTube channel. This show was actually inspired by, um, uh, we did a travel show a few weeks ago, and during that show, we had both uh, a guy call in who decided to really start visiting his family, I think it was around Jalisco, and we then got this comment uh, from Andrea, 
And she, we got back in touch with her, and she wrote us again to kind of more fully explain uh, her story. And I just wanted to uh, to give it to you just so you could kind of, this is sort of where this, this all originated. Andrea writes, I was born and raised in Mexico City in Guadalajara by an American mother and Mexican father. I decided to attend college in my mother's birth state of Michigan after graduation. I started my own family and remained in the U.S. for 43 years. While I made annual trips to Mexico, those stopped in 2006 for personal reasons and also fear of drug cartel violence. Until July of last year, 2021, I was living in Santa Fe and decided to move back to Michigan to be near my sons. Shortly after landing in Michigan, I decided to visit my mother in Guadalajara, and I visited the Pueblo Magico on Lake Chapala and fell in love again with the area. I moved to the less touristy and neighboring town of Chapala, where I am very happy making, selling, and teaching art. I love the people and how I'm treated with respect as a senior citizen and the slower pace while people assume I'm a gringa based on my looks. Being bilingual and bicultural gives me an advantage. Expats coming to live here need to remember that this is not the U.S., that there's a learning curve in every area of life. And you won't change Mexico and would do well to pack up some adaptability, acceptance, uh, and grace. We would love to hear more from our listeners. We're... Mexican talking on this call, but we doesn't. You don't have to be. You could be uh, thinking about going back to uh, the country where your ancestors are from. Have you considered moving back to a place where your family have roots? And, and if so, why? You can give us a call eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. That's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. You can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. KQD forum, or you can email those questions or experiences to forum at uh, kqed.org. So I want to talk a little bit about the tensions that can arise in making this kind of move. Uh, In the several times that I've contemplated moving to Mexico, I would say that my father in particular did not have the most positive reaction to it. Uh, You actually have a passage in your book that kind of... uh, Really, really kind of addresses what happened when you decided, like, told your parents, okay, I'm, I'm moving back to Mexico. Maybe you could uh, read it for us. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Uh, it's been 20 years since this. Okay. Here we go. In the late spring 2002, after I graduate from Berkeley, I'm offered a dream job as a reporter on the downtown Metro desk of the Los Angeles Times. The editors want me to start right away, but I ask for the summer off. I want to see more of Mexico. I book a one-way flight to Mexico City from Tijuana. I pack a large rectangular suitcase with clothes, a clunky laptop, and a $6 rubber wristwatch from Walmart. Cheap, so as to not attract attention to myself, my mother instructs me. The irony is not lost on me. While millions of Mexicans are migrating northward, I go south. It is an act of rebellion. My parents, who left Tijuana and settled in San Diego in 1976, shake their heads in disapproval. They steal your socks without taking off your shoes, dad warns. What what is he going to do down there? Perplexed cousins in Tijuana and San Diego ask my parents. We don't know, they say, está loco. And I think that passage, and thank you for finding it, is I encapsulates, encapsulates probably the sentiment that a lot of folks who have been making this journey and making similar journeys back to India or Iran or Vietnam or any number of places in the world, and especially in kind of diaspora cultures that we have here in the state of California, it's like that. It's this weird kind of kind of a act of rebellion. 
mm-hmm. but also I think a when you're kind of picked by that need for adventure and for exploring the boundaries of who you are as a United Statesian, you know, and, and what that means to other people. So um, thank you for allowing me to read that. Yeah. You know, Kevin and Jenny, I mean, the thing that really struck me about that passage, you know, was the, you know, they'll steal your socks without taking off your shoes. This sort of <laughs> presumed both like naivete of the American kids, you know, like basically growing up in the U.S. makes you soft kind of idea. You just don't understand what's going on, uh, as well as this kind of protective layer that that was there. Did you find that with your families or were they or were they super supportive? No, they also totally thought we were crazy and kind of laughed it off and said, oh, well, you there's no Marshalls or TJ Maxx, you know, no Target. You're going to miss your old stores, your old comforts. But we were totally prepared to leave those comforts. And and like Daniel said, bring some of that adaptability back. Yeah. And and how about you, Anshila? How did your family react? And, and what was your how did you approach them and tell them what you were doing? Yeah, you know, I think my family wasn't surprised because I feel like I've been doing this kind of thing my whole life. Just I've lived, <laughs> I've lived in, I've lived in Guatemala, in 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 Italy for like extended period of times. Because I always like when I travel, I always want to be more immersed rather than sort of a vacation. So mm-hmm. I think when I, so when I, by the time I shared this, my mom was like, "Oh yeah, like of course." And you know, she had visited Mexico City many times growing up, and so she was able to see, um, you know, where I was going to be and that it felt safe and like you know, came to visit. And so I think that helped, but definitely there's definitely that um, fear of just like having to watch her back all the time. Right. Like that definitely was something that she was worried about for sure. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Kevin, how did you deal with the tension of your you know parents who are like, wait, we came to the U S to give you a better life. You got that better life. You went to college. You and Jenny both went to, went to college, graduated. did did they understand the the yearning that you had or not? Well, in the beginning, I think uh, they kind of just took our we we let them know with a year in advance, and they kind of just took it as a joke. They didn't really <laughs> take it too serious. It was just like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then COVID hit, so that even like didn't even become a thought. But we had something set in mind. We kind of kept telling our family. So we're leaving January 10th, 2021. And like, sure, sure, sure. Time kept coming up. And and with time, we had more conversations about it. We always kept them in communication. And I think at the end of it all, when, when we finally left, uh, I'll never forget my dad saying, um, oh, they're just going on vacation. Just think of it as a, a very long vacation. And that's kind of how they set on it. We, uh, we were out in Mexico for five months for the first time. And then we came back. And it was funny because now they started to become curious as they're getting closer to retirement. They were asking, so how does healthcare work out there? Did you feel safe? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then we came back to, to Mexico after spending six weeks in Chicago. And they're like, why are you going to go back? Like, <laughs> are you serious about this? Like, come on, like, is it really that good? Or and things, situations like that. And I think uh, one of the things that I brought up a lot was that, I would see so many uh, expats, snowbirds, uh, foreigners, Europeans coming to Mexico and and living uh, what what I felt was a very comfortable and good life. And I have these roots in Mexico, so I was 
telling my family, like, if they can do it, why can't I? Right. Um, I know that you guys sacrifice so much and we're living, you know, the wildest dreams of our ancestors. Um, Why can't we make this happen for us? Why can't we provide all the every all those sacrifices and everything that we've gone to school for? We can help Mexico uh, develop into like to help develop communities, help teach English to, to families in Mexico, just provide so many things that, uh, you know, our ancestors would have been so proud of us to, to have us accomplish here in Mexico. So yeah. uh, with yeah. time, I think our parents are now more comfortable about it. They're still so be, be careful, watch your back. <laughs> um, but Chicago helped us. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's not Chicago. as if Chicago <laughs> is uh, a place for bumpkins, you know. I yeah, that gotta have helped a little. Um, we have uh, some some great comments. I uh, want to get to a couple of them, and then to our first caller. Uh, Rosa writes: I spent some time living in Santa Fe in Mexico City while working for a multinational corporation. My biggest takeaway is that if you're choosing to move back, it's up to you to remember and strengthen your roots there. Mexico is the land of my ancestors, my homeland, and there's no other place that gives me that feeling. It's a place of incredible beauty, hardship, struggle, abundance, and all the exquisite contradictions that is life. I choose to love all of it. Uh, Nancy writes, uh, you know, we asked whether people were considering moving back to the countries where their parents came from. And she said, not terribly seriously, but yes, I've considered it. Most seriously, when Trump was elected, I have two Irish grandparents, which entitles me to an Irish passport. Complicated to gather all the documentation I would need from Ireland and the U.S., but I understand there are people I could hire to do the Irish end. If Trump gets elected in 2024, I might move. So there's the there's the poll that we've been talking about. And at least for some Americans, there is the push. Uh, Let's bring in Jillian in Richmond. Welcome, Jillian. Hi. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Much like your um, last commenter. um, So my mother immigrated to the United States from the United Kingdom um, and lived here for half of her life and then moved back. And I have a British citizenship. And um, when it was down to Trump versus Biden, you know, I I told our family if Trump wins, we're moving. And um, we didn't move, but we are still really considering it. you know, there's just we're very afraid that Trump will be reelected or someone like him. Um, it's not that the UK doesn't have its own nationalism, but somehow it's I, I find it less upsetting. Um, there's the fact that, you know, California feels like it's burning up every year. It's very, you know, this apocalyptic feeling is very upsetting. Um, the beautiful nature. I mean, and what's really interesting is. I've been chewing on this and chewing on this and really processing, should we do it? Should we do it? And then this radio program came on and I was like, oh, my roots are there. That's why I wanted to do it so bad. Like it had never occurred to me, but that was a big part of it. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that, Jillian. Really appreciate that uh, that call and that perspective. I mean, gosh, you know, yeah, the, the climate situation here in California, of course, bad, but it's also everywhere, uh, so can't can't get away from it. Um, you know, Daniel, uh, I wanted to ask you about how you were received because you've gone a couple of times, as I understand it. Um, and do you think that how you were received by people uh, in Mexico made you feel more American or more Mexican or something else, <laughs> some yeah. more complex identity scheme? A lot has changed, I would say, since when I first traveled there in. Uh, 2002, 
there was not a lot of us yet. There was not a, you know, cell phone, actual cell phone usage was not uh, universal in Mexico that year. I mean, we we're barely getting there in the United States, but it was actually still rare to see a cell phone on the train in Mexico in the early part of the, um, that decade. And most of the quote unquote expats who were settling in Mexico city, which is where I went was, were people from to, to me, very exotic places, uh, Germany, France, Sweden, <laughs> um, the United Kingdom, Washington, D.C., New York. Um, <laughs> the exotic and, land of Washington, D.C. No, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely understand. They were like Anglo-Americans raised with a lot of privilege, and, and I was neither of those things. But I found my way there through my work as journalist and com- coming out in my career as a reporter. And so it really was um, a shock for people to meet me. They'd be like, wait, what? There was perplexion. Like, why did you come here? thinking like, why are you so stupid to come here? Like if you grew up in the States, stay in the States. And also a little bit of like derision and discrimination. Um, you know, Mexico City is a, it's a tough urban place. It's like New York, it's like Chicago, it's like in LA. And so it's, um, you know, there will be moments where a fellow city dweller will look for ways to, um, you know, victimize you or exploit you or um, get some money out of you. And that was happening to me attempts were happening and sometimes successfully left and right all over Mexico and it's usually because of my northern Mexican accent Mm -hmm. aka my pocho accent or my border accent um, which to me was the most natural thing in the world right Um, but you know the other aspect of it as I would say that the culture of Mexico City is um, it has its own stereotypes of being haughty and of people there being um, you know very sure of themselves a little arrogant you know and so that also was a factor because I'm like a laid back uh, beachside <laughs> California kid, you know? Um, so there were multiple layers of it. I really do think that because, as you mentioned, deportation, and I hope that we talk that, about that a little more, there's so many more U.S. raised Mexican American diasporic kids who are now living full time in Mexico. And now we're definitely part, I would say, of the urban milieu at different aspects and different layers and different class levels as well. Um, which is irrespective of really skin color and that kind of a situation in Mexican society that um, I think is really interesting and it's definitely been a change. So interesting. Um, some, some more really good, intense comments coming in. Um, Marsha writes, I've dreamt all my life about moving back to my ancestral lands. Unfortunately, since the Spanish, Mexican, and then American invasion and colonization, I cannot afford to live in Carmel Valley. The padres, the greedy, the genocidal, they all came. Now the arrogant tech bros buy up and gate our ancestral lands. Homeland beckons, and I continue to find ways to be in places where my ancestors laughed and cried, gave birth, and cared for the dying. However, there is a bitterness about unchecked corporate greed and outright theft that continues to this day. Uh, Wanted to uh, ask Jenny and, and Kevin... You know, you've talked about, you know, there's this uh, there's this saying that sometimes people use for, um, sometimes Mexican-Americans use, you know, ni de aquí, ni de allá, like not, not from here, not from there. Um, do you do you buy into that or do you or do you say like, no, that's where we're from here, we're from there, we're from both? How do you how do you approach that? We've struggled with that a lot for sure. Um, and I think throughout our 
learning curve with the YouTube channel and, and making videos that we want to be able to resonate with other people who feel like they belong to both, but also at the same time to neither. Um, we decided that we're going to take control of that narrative. And instead of saying, we like to say, we're from here and from there. And we own that. And I know we've talked a lot about privilege, but it is a huge privilege to be from here and from there. And so we own it. We, we take the advantages of being bicultural and bilingual, and we just get to have the best of both worlds. We're talking about Mexican-Americans choosing to move to Mexico and the experiences that they've had there. We're joined by Jenny Frausto and Kevin Frausto, who have moved from Chicago uh, to Mexico. They're co-founders of the Eat Baila Travel YouTube channel. Also joined by Ana Sheila Victorino, co-host and co-CEO of Tamarindo, a Latinx-centered podcast, as well as Daniel Hernandez, food editor of the LA Times, former resident of Mexico City, and author of the nonfiction book Down and Delirious in Mexico City. We would actually love to to hear from you. Have you considered moving to a country where your family has roots? If so, why? And if you've been an expat somewhere and you you learned something about your your own roots, uh, give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're KQED Forum, or you can email your questions and comments to forum at kqed.org. Maria from Pinole writes in to say, My husband and I are renovating my grandparents' house in Jalisco, Mexico. We hope to start spending three months a year there until we move there permanently. My husband loves it there. I love it there. It's a small town, and it's a very, very nice, beautiful town. It's very scenic. It has a lot to offer. We chose it because I grew up there, and the house was available for us to purchase at a very good price. The cost of living would be just a fraction of the cost of living here. And with our investment properties, we can afford to live there very comfortably. That was Maria from Pinole. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Mexican-Americans choosing to move back to Mexico and their experiences there, as well as other people who are considering moving back to a place where their families have roots. Uh, We're joined by a great panel, and we have an interesting question from a listener 
uh, Becca, who writes in to say, I've wanted to move abroad to a Spanish-speaking country ever since my junior year abroad in Spain 30 years ago. I've stayed in the U.S. for a variety of reasons, but now the urge has resurfaced stronger than ever. What makes it complicated is not only figuring out how my husband and I can work abroad, but we're a transracial family, one Asian, one Caucasian, one black. It's tough to imagine a place where we would feel comfortable and where our black son might have black classmates and teachers like he does here in Oakland. Um, It may be that your guests don't have children or a similar situation, but if they're able to speak to any of this, even if knowing others with a similar family makeup to ours, that would be great. And I think it, it raises some interesting questions about what you have encountered um, in Mexico, particularly around uh, race. Uh, Ana Sheila Victorino, co-host and co-CEO of Tamarindo, uh, a Latinx-centered podcast. What have you seen of kind of racial justice in Mexico and kind of the state of things there? Yeah, so I, I feel like a lot of the conversations we've been having in, in the U.S. around racial justice um, are sort of starting to take, at least in my experience, right, and I'd love to hear other people's perspectives, but are, are starting to also take more shape in, in Mexico, whereas before people used to talk about colorism, but really, you know, realizing that colorism is just really racism, right? And so I think that a lot of these conversations are starting to take more shape, and I think more, more brown Mexicans are starting to use their voice more. But I think that's been really interesting for me being in Mexico and, and really noticing more of like just um, just racism and um, and white supremacy and, and a lot of those those topics, just seeing them, experiencing them more living in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that. Um, but I myself haven't ex- haven't felt like I've experienced um, any discrimination for for being, um, you know, brown at all, because ultimately I'm I'm in Mexico. I'm, I'm a light skinned brown person, which is, you know, brings up a whole nother topic about brownness. Right. And what it means to be brown. But I, I have made some some black friends that have been visiting. And I know that their experience has been, you know, that people there aren't that many black folks in, in, in Mexico, even in Mexico City. That's probably where you would see the most. Right. Because there's so many people visiting and, and starting to, to live there. But their experience experience has been that, you know, people do stare at them a lot, take pictures, want to touch their, want to touch them without permission. So that's been a lot of their experience that that has Mm -hmm. been shared with me for sure. So even though there's a lot of folks um, coming to Mexico City, it is, it is still um, not common to to see a lot of um, black folks, at least, or or people Mm -hmm. of color. Mm -hmm. Daniel Hernandez, is that, uh, how have you seen the race, race conversation evolve in Mexico? I mean, I think two percent of Mexicans identify as black, right? According to most recent census I saw there. Yeah, and that re- census actually was the first time that Mexico has um, state structure ever formally recognized that Afro Mexican or Afro uh, or a black Mexican identity existed. I would echo what Ana Sheila said, and I think it's also important to remember that Mexico has been a multiracial society mm-hmm. um, since colonization. Um, that more enslaved Africans were taken to the Caribbean Gulf ports of Mexico than they were ever to um, North America, um, to what is now the United States. Um, But it's also true that, you know, the trajectory of race and race understanding and race justice in Mexico is completely different from how it has been and the struggles have been in the United States. And I think it's really important to remember that. And I emphasize a lot because one of the things that we often do as Americans is try to put our frame of reference and our window of reference on other countries' experience, which is exactly another form of imperialism, guys. Like you can't be like, 
this neighborhood is the equivalent of Condesa is the equivalent of whatever hipster neighborhood you have in the United States. I cringe literally physically when people say those kinds of things. And so that also comes into play when we talk about racial justice struggles or any kind of social justice struggles. We want to immediately put the lens and the values and the methods that we've developed in the United States without applying understanding or even giving a lot of credence to what the actual social political context is mm -hmm. in Mexico. Black Mexicans are super often for, um, you know, and they're not just in Mexico City, but traditionally, uh, Black Mexicanos, the population exists, and multi-generational Black Mexicanos exist largely on the coastal areas of Oaxaca, Guerrero, and on the coastal areas of um, uh, Veracruz. Um, and it's a percolating new culture and identity, but older generations will be like, I'm just Mexican. Like, I don't understand why all of a sudden all of you are trying to call me Black Mexican. They will tell you to their face, like, I'm just Mexican. At the same time, we have waves, not waves, but we have movements and migration movements related to refugees from violence, um, social inequity, earthquakes uh, from Haiti, from West Africa that are settling in Mexico. Um, there's a huge Haitian community now in the city of Tijuana, which is my heritage city. Um, so there's more black visibility because of immigration, migration and refugee movements than there ever has been in Mexico. And yes, because of the internet and because of social media and how ideas spread now, there is more of an understanding of kind of like, um, you know, racial justice and the need to achieve it in general in Mexican society. So things are changing. That was a really interesting question from, from your listener because it is true, it's not Colombia, it's not Brazil. There's a very minuscule relative to what history tells us of a visibly black population in Mexico yeah. today. Man, I'll never forget. I was at the Denver Art Museum one time and they had one of these things called a Casta painting, which the Spanish colonizers had exactly. had painted. You know, they, they had names for every single kind of mixing of people from the different parts of the world, whether they were from, you know, what, what is now uh, India and Pakistan or people from uh, East Asia, indigenous uh, folks, black people, Europeans who were born uh, in Mexico, Europeans who were born in Spain, and this whole complex uh, racial typologies were all laid out uh, with these you know, pretty gross stereotypes, really. And it, it's really a reminder just that that each country, though, you know, the ideas of, of white supremacy and colonization have played out. Each country has its own specific history, as you were uh, giving us quite masterfully. Uh, thank you so much, Danielle. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to bring in uh, JJ from uh, Redwood City. Uh, if I could click on her properly. <laughs> yeah, hi. Can you hear me? Uh, I think so. JJ, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, I, I just wanted to mention, um, you know, uh, my family migrated from Mexico City back in 1988, and I was like eight years old. And I noticed right away there was two types of people, you know. It was the ones that just wanted to assimilate and become American right away, and the ones that were just quite not sure about which way to go. And I, I felt more that way. And uh, even when I, even now, it's like, I, I feel more of a connection down there than here. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, the, the being, ni de aquí, ni de allá, it's, it's something that I just can't shake, you know? And, and, and I'm so glad you guys are talking about this because I thought I was the only one that just felt like, you know, how come I don't feel such an allegiance to being here? I grew up here hmm. and yet, yet I still feel such a connection down there, even though I don't go down there that often. But, uh, but every time we I do go down there, it's, Deeply, uh, how do you say that? 
very meaningful you know, yeah, to meaningful, be there right. in, in that area. Are you, would you think about moving down? Yes, I have been thinking about that. And especially every time you hear about all the shootings going on in schools, it's like, you know, there's violence down there, but there's nothing like this where there's, you know, little kids being shot up, you know. And so, yeah, that definitely crosses my mind. Um, you know, the safety of being here, you know. Um, yeah. Hey, JJ, thank you so much for uh, for sharing that with us. I, yeah, I think the the issue of violence comes up instantly when you start talking about different places in in Mexico so much of american media coverage is is about those things and yet it also is 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 real for for people in mexico as well um you know kevin and jenny you've been traveling around the country i know that safety was like a really uh important component of where you eventually wanted to 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 put down roots how are you thinking about that now now that you've spent you know uh, a lot of time so after uh, visiting almost 20 states, uh, we uh, uh, 20 states in Mexico, I uh, we've been uh, thinking about it in a way where we would like to be in a place where there's uh, enough schools and also opportunities in terms of career and safety as well. Uh, we consider safety the number one priority. Uh, we visited cities like Querétaro. Uh, Merida, Puerto Escondido, that we've really, really enjoyed and, and really like the opportunities that are that are coming up in those cities and even Aguascalientes as well. Um, so, yeah, we kind of just evaluate different cities. Um, number one, safety. Number two, dancing, because it's very important to us. Food, uh, culture, and just being able to, to walk at night is, is a blessing uh, without having to worry about so much about checking your bag or, or anything like that. But, but yeah. And coming from Chicago, safety is relative, right? So we're just looking for something relatively safer than Chicago. Yeah. Ana Sheila, how did you, uh, how have you dealt with this issue in your time in Mexico city? Uh, to be honest, I, I haven't really felt very unsafe um, mm -hmm. in Mexico city, at least in the areas that, that I've, traveled in. Um, I mean, and going into it, you know, like I've, I've been coming to Mexico City many years. And so there's always, you know, you just got to be like, you know, your aware of your, yeah, yeah you got to just be aware of, of your of your things and just obviously not have like your phone out. But honestly, it, it, it's felt safer than it has in the past. And, and there's something about also not worrying so much about cartel violence in Mexico City that makes you feel a little bit safer as well. Um, I, I know that like a few weeks or a few months ago, I, I went to a wedding of a close friend who's from the Tulum region. And on our way back from a wedding event, we were blocked because um, there was a shooting um, mm. at a club, you know, just d uh, competing uh, gangs. So on our way back, we had to wait for a while while they cleared the, the, the you know, what had just happened. And so I've, I've, ex I've felt more... Um, you know, like traveling to other places feels a little in, in Mexico feels a little bit scarier, like having to use the roads and things like that to get through certain states where that's more where there's more of a presence mm -hmm. of that than actually in Mexico City In Mexico City. I'm like, OK, maybe I had my phone stolen. But I it's like one of those things. It's like I knew at some point like something was going to get stolen, you know, right. and, I, and they were such they were such excellent pickpocketers that I really didn't even know at what it, like at what point it happened. You're like, wow, respect. <laughs> I didn't even wow. feel that. <laughs> Seriously, for real. <laughs> 
Um, Annalise uh, writes, my husband is the son of Portuguese immigrants to the U.S. And during the pandemic, he got his Portuguese citizenship and we moved to Lisbon to work remotely and escape the U.S. presidential election. We loved life there, even with the lockdowns and looked into purchasing real estate. We heard a lot of complaints from our Portuguese friends and family that expats like us were gentrifying Lisbon and pushing Portuguese natives from the trendy neighborhoods and driving up prices. At the same time, they were appreciative of the expanded economic opportunities from tourism and foreigners relocating to their country. Ultimately, we decided not to move right now, but we wonder if there's a way to relocate without pushing native populations out of their communities. Get to that in a second. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Want to get to a call, too. We have uh, Jose in San Jose. Welcome. Well, hello. Hey, how are you? Thank you, for me. Thank you for having me. So tell us your story. Okay. Um, so, right quick, uh, early 2000, um, I actually had got divorced, um, was a bad divorce, um, actually got mixed up with bad people at the time. Um, I got sent to Mexico because uh, I was living with my mom. Um, ne- never had gone over there. Uh, my parents are actually, uh, my mom's from Mexicali, my dad's from Michoacan. Um, so I went over there, not you know, not knowing what to expect. Um, lost a hundred pounds. <laughs> no McDonald's, no nothing out there. I lived um, harvesting uh, watermelons with my dad, and um, uh, basically, make a long story short. Thank you. Um, make a long story short. I actually perfected my Spanish. I was big. I guess you would say pocho, you know, uh, border uh, accent or, or you know. And I came back, um, um, well, just to let you know what kind of what I look like, shaved head, bald, big beard, <laughs> tattoos. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people, you know, a lot of Mexicans call me pocho. Um, so when I came back, I, I worked, currently working on um, uh, soccer and um, in the construction business. So when I would take, before, uh, they would, uh, uh, during, like, breaks, and everybody would talk to me in English. And... Um, so when I came back, learning how to speak Spanish, uh, perfecting it, um, they would uh, Mexican um, uh, workers would invite me to sit down and have lunch with them, and totally different. Like once I perfected my Spanish, you know, um, I felt more accepted. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know. Living my it, dream, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jose, uh, thank you for that call. Appreciate that uh, that story. And and I do, you know, uh, Daniel. I, I know this is a uh, a different kind of issue for you, right? Because you you look like a hipster. You worked for Vice. I think that's fair <laughs> to say. Uh, and for you, even in Southern California, people don't anticipate that you actually that your Spanish is perfect. That uh, that caller's story was. Hitting me hard, man. I am also uh, <laughs> shaved head, tattooed, mustachioed, uh, you know, California, pocho, Chicano um, person. And it really does your visual presentation to, uh, in kind of general Mexican society is kind of a real important factor of how you are treated. Unfortunately, um, I would often get kind of stereotyped or immediately tagged. Like they would call me gringo. The word gringo is used, you know, wildly, um, but it's the fact in reference 
to a person who just sort of like has American dripping all over them. And they kind of can identify it sometimes as what like from across the room or in the middle of a market. They'll call us Wedo or Gringo. And I'm not Wedo. Wedo is like a light-skinned person. I am a brown caramel skin person. And so um, it's really They're like, no, it's a vibe. It's a vibe, not skin <laughs> it's color. <a> vibe. <laughs> so it's interesting to hear that, but you're right. Like once I get talking or once I demonstrate let's say like the depth of my understanding of, you know, contemporary Mexican life or whatever you want to call it. Um, then we can get the ball rolling and then conversations can go in different directions. But like you were mentioning earlier, there's massive cities in Mexico and then there's small, small communities that barely, barely, excuse me, ever see outsiders. Um, and so that's also important to keep in mind, like uh, that caller's experience. Uh, yeah. 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 You know, uh, Jenny Frausto, I wanted to ask you about this just as we, we come to the hour, because one of the cool experiences you've gotten to have is to go back to the like rancho where your uh, mother is from. Right. And you've gotten to like spend time in you know your grandfather's house and all that. How has that compared to your experiences going to places where your family didn't live? Well, you know, growing up, we only ever went back to the rancho. Like We grew up very low income in Chicago and you know, we could only afford to take one vacation a year. And that one vacation a year was straight to my mom's rancho, which is San Lorenzo, Zacatecas. So that's all I ever really knew growing up. And when I got older, I had this like longing to learn more about Mexico, other parts of Mexico. Um, but recently with, with the YouTube channel project, we had this beautiful opportunity to make memories and record video of my mom sharing her stories of her childhood. And now I have this beautiful treasure that I could maybe one day pass down to my children and show them where their ancestors came from in an actual video. Yeah, it's good. I really, I really, really enjoyed that. I've never been to that part of Mexico and I loved, loved your tour around it. Thank you so much for that. We've been talking about Mexican-Americans choosing to move to Mexico and the experiences that they've had there. We've been joined by Kevin and Jenny Frausto, who moved from Chicago to Mexico. They're co-founders of the Eat, Buy, Let, Travel YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having us. Thank We've you. Also been joined by, uh, uh, thank you, Kevin. We've also been joined by Ana Sheila Victorino. She's the co-host and co-CEO of Tamarindo, a Latinx Center podcast. Thank you, Ana Sheila. No, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And we've also been joined by a friend of the show. Daniel Hernandez, food editor at the LA Times, former resident of Mexico City and author of the book Down and Delirious in Mexico City. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Alexis. Great to talk to you as always. And, and uh, saludos to, uh, to all the panel and guests today. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This was produced by Blanca Torres. Stay tuned for more Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone? hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.